Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high vibing friends. I'm so excited you're here and as always have an amazing guest to introduce. Today, we're going to be talking with Eric DeRosa, known by friends as Yoda, is the founder and CEO of From Survivor to Thriver, a mental health advocate, speaker, author, and co-host of the popular From Survivor to Thriver podcast. Through his work and his own lived experience, Eric is upending the front end of the mental health space and building a bridge between those who seek resources and those who provide both help and hope. Each week on his podcast, he tackles different mental health topics through honest and relatable kitchen table conversations, the real people who are helping to shatter mental health stigmas and find their voices. He aims to normalize discussions around mental health topics and remind his audience they are not alone. There is strength in community and it's perfectly okay to not be okay. So welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hi, Caitlin. Thank you so very much and happy day after Thanksgiving. I know, same to you. (laughs) <laughs> to my to my host uh, in the front range, those of you who are listening in Colorado will know where the front range is. And mm-hmm. I'm about 8,300 feet up in Snowmass Village watching the snowfall as we speak. Well, so nice. We have not quite started getting snow down here yet. We had some yesterday, but I'm not a huge fan of snow, so hopefully not too much. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's a big part of my life, and uh, I think we need a lot more. The mountain opened yesterday with very mm. little terrain and okay. seems to be a thing now throughout Colorado and Utah, so hoping mm. for lots of snow. Yeah, all right. Well, I always love starting by just hearing how you got to doing what you're doing today. Sure. So my journey, it was and is a long one. And mm-hmm. it really started when I was seven and I'm 52 now and in a much, much, much better place than I ever thought I would be. That journey for me really started uh, as an extremely anxious child with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, really ruling my life. Uh, I talk about it. It was almost like a bubbling cauldron of dread thinking about waking up each morning and what that day was going to be like for me. And that persisted throughout my young years, my adolescent years, high school, college, and into my working years uh, in New York City as an investment banker. And it got progressively worse. And for me, the biggest thing was I never told anybody. Mm -hmm. I struggled. I struggled most days, varying degrees. But the constant was I never told anybody. I struggled Mm -hmm. in silence and I really thought I was broken. I thought I was unfixable. I thought I was the only one and I couldn't have been any more wrong. Now that I've begun in the past three or so years, my advocacy work and and writing and podcasting and speaking and all of the, the things that I do to hope impact and inspire people. I've learned along the way, I was far from the only one. Mm-hmm. There are so many people out there. And my my big takeaway, as you had said in the introduction, is, you know, it's perfectly okay to not always be okay. And at some point, we need to check in with ourselves and with others when we feel that that period of not okayness has gone on for too long of a time. Mm-hmm. And we need to make a change or in my case now, be there to help others make a change. 
I love that. I appreciate you sharing and, and bringing some of that vulnerability into the space. I think that was one of the things that really drew me that line of it's okay to not be okay all the time. I, my goodness, the amount of times that I say that to clients in sessions right now, I literally just finished a session and we had that exact same conversation um, because we deal with challenging things in life. And you're right. We isolate and we're like, oh, I'm the only one dealing with anything hard and I can't let anybody see this vulnerability. And we kind of shame that down. And isolation is so, so impactful in mental health. And I'm curious, you said, you know, checking in with others. So I think the first place I'd like to start is really talking about why community is important and how to start building a community. Sure. Great question. Community is everything. And you used one of my favorite V words, vulnerability, and it's so important. And I think one of the issues around, you know, why people often feel as though they're the only ones and that they may not be okay and no one else is like them is it's been stigmatized. Mental health, mental health issues have been stigmatized for decades and the conversation has never really happened. Mm -hmm. And it's up to people like you with your amazing podcast and the work you do outside of that. And, and all of us who are now able to have a voice to be able to help others and show them that these conversations are important. And as you said, it's within that community, people feel most comfortable when they know and they learn that there are other people like them and that they have a place. You know, sometimes I hear friends talk about it. It's their chosen family. Mm-hmm. They where there's shared similarities, they've gone through shared experiences. And as you said, they can be vulnerable and they can be open and honest and raw and real with each other without fearing any type of judgment. And that community, I like to say, it starts within each of us. And as each of us begins to tell our story, as we tell it to somebody else, and then that person shares his or her story with somebody else, it becomes exponential. And so we go from a community that exists just within us to suddenly having kind of a little neighborhood and a cul-de-sac to having a city, to having a state, and then there's a country and it grows and it grows and it grows. And as each person's voice becomes louder and louder and louder, over time, that community will eventually outnumber the people who feel as though they the only way is to struggle in silence. Mm-hmm. And the more we can, the more we can speak openly and feel that we can speak openly. And the more that we look to bridge that gap and find other people in our lives that are willing to listen to our our stories and not just problem solve our stories. I think that's a really big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can start really building that community uh, and it, it can become endless in the number of people that are in it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. I love so many things that you said there. And I think one of the biggest is, so <clears throat> I specialized in a couple different things, but one of them is substance abuse counseling. And one of the biggest misconceptions about sobriety is that um, the opposite of being an active use is sobriety. And the reality is that being an active use opposite is community. Because if you don't have community, my goodness, you are not, you you might be sober, but you are definitely not in recovery. Um, because recovery is living and having a community and enjoying your life. And I think that you highlighted that so lovely with saying like, we go into that problem solving mode of like, fix it because we're so afraid of the vulnerability. Um, so we kind of just hyper analyze and we're like, how do I fix this? How do I feel better? I don't want to feel this discomfort. 
Yeah, I love how you put that. And and that word in and of itself, fix it. When it comes to mental health issues, when it comes to substance abuse and recovery and you know, recovery and sobriety, I'm sure you cannot you and I could have a conversation about that endlessly, mm-hmm. how the two words uh, differ and, mm-hmm. and are often used in in an interactive way. Uh, but it's not something that can necessarily be fixed. It's something that can be worked on. I tell people that I now live with anxiety and OCD and PTSD, and it's much different. It no longer manages my life. It no longer rules my life. It's something that I live with, I'm aware of, and I now have right the tools. And as you said, I have the community around me to be able to use the words to explain what's happening. So mm-hmm. I no longer have to struggle in this silent way. And you're so very right in, in the recovery community and, and many friends and guests that I've come to meet over the years, community is everything. Mm-hmm. You can choose tomorrow to be the day that you no longer will pick up a drink. Mm -hmm. But unless there are other people around you who are supporting you in that and who are going through that very same thing, at some point, the temptation will be there Mm -hmm. and someone will take a drink. And what ends up happening, and you know this much better than I do as a professional, the shame comes and people beat themselves up and it actually becomes worse. And you start from a, you start from a darker place than where you did when you began. Mm -hmm. And so having that community around you where there are people that can, that can walk alongside you and help pick you up when days aren't so great. And then you can be there for those people when their days aren't so great. That means everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, it absolutely does. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, like I'll, I have, it made me think of a client um, and I had them say something of, well, I'm an introvert, so I don't need people. And I was like, Ooh, it is a basic human need to need connections. Yes. So my goodness, we do need people. Um, but yeah, the community piece, like chosen family. When you said those words, I was like, not even just for people that are struggling with mental health or substance use or anything for that matter. I think even as adults, like as we age, the idea of a chosen family becomes more and more important because we start to see dysfunction that we didn't see in our families because everybody has dysfunction. We start to see all these challenges with our parents or our siblings or these different things. And it goes, okay, hey, maybe I don't totally fit in with my family or maybe I do, but I also need these other supports that fully accept me in different ways. And so that chosen family piece is such a I don't even like have a word for it. Like it's so astronomically needed in uh, this, in today's society. So I love that you highlighted that piece. Thank you. And, and all the credit goes to uh, a good friend of mine who was very early on three years ago on our podcast, Veronica. And it was the first time I had actually heard that term and she was using it in reference to her LGBTQ community Mm -hmm. and talking about how, as she came out and as she transitioned, it was really important for her to find other people that would understand what she was going through mm-hmm. and had been there before she had been there and who she could look to in in you know times of uncertainty and and when it seemed like it was dark and there was nobody there for her. And so I started to think about it and I was like, yeah, chosen family, it's something that I had sort of unconsciously really started to do mm-hmm. in my own my own mental health journey as I started to think about who are the people that I want to have surrounding me. You know, they, you know, in other terms, sometimes 
people talk about their ride or die, or these mm-hmm. are my five, right? We all, we all know, and you brought this up really well, isolation. We went through it with COVID. We, we realized as human beings, we really need that personal interaction. And more importantly, we need that personal interaction with people who are going to fill our cups rather than people who are going to drain our cups. And I think that's really where it comes back to that chosen family. It's who are the people that are going to sit around the table with me, uh, whether literally or figuratively, and are going to fill my cup and whose cup I am willing to fill versus those people who, as my energy healer uh, and talks about all the time, the energy vampires who are Mm -hmm. there to just take and take and take. And before you know it, you're drained and exhausted and battling, you know, for me, anxiety and, and not understanding where it's coming from. And often Mm -hmm. it's just looking at your surroundings and seeing who it is around you that's impacting you in that way. Yeah, absolutely. What a great point. I think it just made me think of this idea of struggle culture. And I think that when we're looking at our chosen family, we have to, like you said, figure out those people that are filling our cup and are not just aiding or staying in that struggle culture of like, oh my gosh, it's so hard. Like um, I have a little one. And so it made me think of like mom struggle culture where it's like, oh my God, I can't (laughs) even, you know, change another diaper. I can't like put another meal on the table and those kind of ones. But And sometimes, yeah, you need that and you need a space. But at the end of the day, you also need somebody that's going to say, hey, what do you need? Or, hey, can I get you a coffee? Or can I, you know, filling up your cup in a different way? So I think, um, you know, that that is a really big distinction about choosing your your chosen family. And your mom, by the way, I love your mom analogy. And I'm going to now on the fly, I'm going to apply this to (laughs) mental health in a different way. Love it. When we think about, when we think about moms, right, each mom and I didn't have kids, but, uh, you know, I've experienced it with lots of friends of ours and, you know, my brother and my sister-in-law have, uh, you know, given us to my amazing niece and nephew. Mm -hmm. And, and each time you have a kid, there's that period of thinking, I'm not going to get through this. I'm going to screw screw this up. Something's not going to happen. Right. And before you know it, there's people around you who are surrounding you saying, I've been there. I can help you know, everything from let me take the child for a little bit so you can get some sleep to meal trains to you name it. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you now become that person, right? Your mm-hmm. child gets older and then you're supporting a friend or a loved one who's having a child for the first time. And that analogy works so, so very well when it comes to mental health. Yeah, Each one of us who has mental health struggles, there's a point in time where we think, I can't do this. I'm not going to survive this. There's no way through. What am I going to do? And somebody comes along in our lives, somebody that we may know very well, who might be a loved one or someone who we've never met before, but they've been placed into our lives and they jump into that dark hole with us because they've been in that hole and they know the way out Mm -hmm. and they show us the way and they help guide us. And sooner or later, we are able to jump in that hole with someone else because we've been lucky enough to find the way out and know how to get out. We can do it for somebody else. So that's kind of how I'm, I'm thinking of that whole like mom story and mental health. Beautiful. I think that that was a great off of my connection. Um, and it, you know, it made me think of my first job too. So when I, or I guess not first job, but I worked in an involuntary psych unit in New Jersey and Newark and it was a pretty big shock right out of school. Um, and one of the things that when I was working there, 
I just remember sitting around a table for lunch um, with some of the colleagues there and they were like, yeah, you'll realize soon that all the people that are working in here, um, and it's not the best term, but this is the language that was used, what are, you know, wackier than the people that are in here. And to me, I was like, it highlighted what you said of the people that are going into this field to want to help, regardless of if you're, you know, have professional credentialing, if you're a peer, if you're a support, whoever you are, if you're advocating for people that are struggling with this, it's because you, yeah, you've been there, you know how to help and you can see that there's a way out and you want to share that because it's so, so scary to be in that space and not feel like there's a way to go. It is. And it makes me think, and I've, I haven't shared this publicly before, and it it just really made me think of uh, something from my past. And I was in my, had to have been in my mid late twenties, living in New York City at the time. And a friend of mine uh, was uh, at McLean Hospital. Uh, she had been um, been brought in, and and I really felt a draw and felt compelled to want to go up and visit. I had been struggling with my own mental health issues, as I had said. So by that point, we're we're going on two decades, and I hadn't told anyone. From the moment I walked in that hospital, which was a woman's only hospital, and um, you know, I there were very few men who around who were even visiting. I I felt this unbelievable need to want to go up to each and every one of the patients there and give them a hug, and. I had no idea why. I do now. <laughs> I clearly do now. Right. And I've thought about that often. And I just kept looking around thinking these women are these women are people. They're just people and they're struggling. And they just need a hug. They just want to be loved. And fast forward, you know, two diso- dissociative episodes later in my life and and additional mental health struggles. And there were times when that's all I wanted. I just mm-hmm. wanted a hug. I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to know it was going to be okay and that I was going to be able to make it through to the next day. Mm-hmm. Oh. So thank you for sparking that story. It's- yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. That's powerful. I, you know, and I think there's so many. Ex- there's so many things that occur like that. It, like, you know, as we're like, it's just not sparking memories for me, of course. But, um, you know, I think about like the power of a hug, right. Or the power of a smile. Um, I wrote a blog a long, long time ago, and it's about this client that I met in involuntary psych. And, um, again, not great terminology. And this is where we need some big healing. And I'm glad we're having conversations like this, but um, they referred to this client as a frequent flyer because they were in and out of involuntary psych um, and like in in the unit, the lockdown unit. Um, And when I went in, I shared briefly, like um, they pulled me aside. They told me, you know, like be really careful there. She has like attacked and spit on some other nurses before. And, um, and again, like I was just like a mental health assistant, like nothing, I wasn't a clinician yet. Um, and when I went in there, I had a really beautiful interaction with her, very goofy. Um, but at the end of her stay, she was there for like 14 days. Um, we were sitting in the day room and we were playing dominoes and, um, she, I asked her and I was like, you know, I know that um, you haven't gotten along with some of the staff here and I'm curious what was different. And she says, you smiled at me. And I was like, 
what? A smile that was different. And it was like heartbreaking. And also at the same time, like show the power of just like human interaction, like we're talking about and smiling and being there for somebody and just treating them like a human, because we are humans all with so many different issues. Um, but exactly. Thank that. you. And thank you for sharing that. That's a beautiful story. And it, it really makes me think about times when I've struggled or times when friends have struggled and whether you're hospitalized or seeing a therapist or whatever it is, there's this incredible amount of fear and not just if you're suffering from anxiety and are prone to feeling insecure, you know, unsafe and insecure like I was, uh, but there's a a tremendous sense of fear. Mm-hmm. And I could only imagine what it is you know, when it comes to an involuntary you know, hospitalization, that fear of, am I ever going to get out of here? Yeah. Right? Am I ever going to get better? And the fear of, well, the last 10 people who have come to help me have just treated me like, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. And in that moment where you give a smile it just shows that other person that you're different, that you get them. You don't even have to have that conversation. You don't have to even share whether or not you've had your own lived experience. That smile just recognizes that I see you. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to help you. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, and it's wild to me because I mean, like that client, like she... I just absolutely love her. Like she was a huge part of my journey um, of just like being in the field. And I knew her for 14 days and it was just, you know, simple things like that. So the other piece that, you know, as we're talking about kind of these different levels of like, you know, being out in the world and struggling with anxiety and being in an involuntary hospitalization and things like that. Why is it so important to meet people where they're at in their journey? (laughs) I'm chuckling I just just because I love talking about this mm-hmm. and it it was it was spurred out of my own recollection of my childhood and for so long I used to hear whether it was in school whether it was in athletics whether it was in a job setting the things like you need to learn how to get along with others. You mm. need to learn how to flex to other people's styles, blah, 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 blah. And when I was younger, of course, I would just see it on my report card. You know, I'd see straight A's and then I'd have comments from several teachers and I'd bring the report card home and, and it would, you know, get looked at. It would, in those days, you used to have to have your parents sign them and go back to school. And, and then there would be the, the parent teacher conference. And it was always, you know, Eric excels in academics. However, he, you know, and it's, Eric was, we had to put him in the back of the room. We, I'll never forget. And this is, you know, I'm clearly where some of my trauma began in, my, in kindergarten, they uh, my parents came to pick me up, and I was sitting there with masking tape over my mouth because one oh. of the teachers had taped over my mouth because I couldn't keep quiet. Clearly, oh my god, I was struggling. Nowadays, that teacher would not still have a job, right? Right, right. And fast forward into the workplace, and it was a very similar kind of thing. And and I realize now I was really I was looking for attention, but not for attention because I wanted attention. I just wanted somebody to hear me. I wanted to be heard. I hadn't I hadn't been been heard growing up and and I didn't know any other way to go about it. And so 
throughout through my healing journey, I started to think about, well, is it really me that has to flex my style or meet others where they're at? Or do I first need to figure out and meet myself where I'm at? Do I have to be honest with myself and share my story honestly with my therapist and share it honestly with my wife and honestly with my friends and tell them how I'm really doing, how I'm doing today, how I might be doing this week, things that are going really well, things that are not going so well. And then I can reflect on that and say, you know what? It's been a it's a really good week right now. I have space to be able to do and and name it. And until you really have the ability to meet yourself where you're at, there is absolutely no way you can begin to meet other people where they're at. Be able to meet their needs, be able to hear their stories. It and I don't want this to come across as selfish in any way, but in in lots of ways we need we need to take care of ourselves first. We need to put the oxygen mask on first before we can put the oxygen mask on somebody else. And so that's where that whole idea of meeting yourself where you're at came from. And, and I think about it all the time, even mm. just in the last couple of days. You know, my, my wife and I had a very, very quiet Thanksgiving, just the two of us and our cat. And that's what we wanted. That's what we craved. We didn't want to be around lots of other people. Other Thanksgivings we've had. This Thanksgiving, we chose to do something that that was more meaningful for us, and and it was meeting ourselves and meeting our needs where we were at at that particular point in time, and not worrying about what other people were thinking or what other people wanted us to do. I think that is so incredibly strong to also do because I think that you know just even noticing and being able to see where you're at and to being able to let go of that is really important. And it made me think about, you know, as a counselor, you go through all this education and I had one professor tell me something that is probably one of the main things I'll ever take away from schooling. And it was similar to this idea of meeting somebody where you're at. They said 80% of your job is showing up. And I was like, wow, that's really like, I didn't get it at the time. And as I've been in a clinician now, it's, it absolutely is. Cause every single client that I see is in a different place, right? So yes. I'm not going to have the same conversation with any of my clients throughout the day. And I never do. And they're right. Some days I have a client that, I mean, the same exact client, right? Like I have the same exact client and one day they need to talk the entire time. And they're just like, have so much to say. And then the next client or the next week that we meet, they are in a totally different place. So it's even meeting that person day by day where they're at. So I think that yeah. that is absolutely a huge piece of healing. And and I think the other important piece, and you know, I'll say it, is each day when you get up to do your job, you have to first check in where you're oh, yeah. at, right? And, and I think I love busting myths and shattering stigmas and all these things. And mm -hmm. of course, there's that stigma of my therapist isn't a real person. My therapist hasn't had struggles. <laughs> yeah. My therapist is a trained professional who just sits across from me and they listen and they ask me these like rhetorical questions to try to get me to talk about something that I might not want to talk about, which couldn't be further from the truth. And when you wake up each and every day, you were talking about having a young child there, you, you have your life and then mm -hmm. you have to think, where am I today and how do I want to show up and how can I show up 
as your Mm -hmm. professor was saying, for these people who I know need me today, right? And and how much capacity do I have? And there's there's so many different things. And I think that's so overlooked by by people who you know are are new into the mental health space and 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 even some who you know I've heard, well my therapist doesn't get me. Or, you know, I've, I'm not doing therapy anymore. I went to a therapist and, you know, it just didn't work out. And the reality is there's, there's a therapist out there for everyone, like you just said. And uh, I I always say it's like online dating. Yeah. You don't, you you don't give up after the first date, Mm -hmm. right? You go and you try a different website, you post again, different picture. Eventually, like you find somebody and you just gel. And it's the same thing with, you know, meeting people where you're at and, and the profession and what you do, you know, coming to it each day. There's a, there's a point in time when you gel with those people and you get them and they get you. And sometimes you don't even need to say the words. Mm-hmm. It's just the comfort in knowing that you're present and, and, they can sit there and sit with whatever it is. I know it's been a big thing for me. Sometimes I'll go see my therapist and just sitting there and knowing she's across from me and knowing that she gets me sometimes is as important as me being able to sit there and talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eric, those were such great points. I had I had a client the other day, they asked me, um, we we're talking about boundaries and they're like, how do you do this all the time? And I was like, I don't like if I, if I was, if I was an expert on this, like I can sit here and have the education, but I absolutely do not implement all the things that I say perfectly because nobody does. And I will be the first person to admit that nobody has all their shit together. I don't have all my shit together and nobody does. No counselor does. And if they present that they do, then they're probably not the right fit for a counselor, like you're saying, because then they're not going to get you because that's a facade and, you know, all those different things. But, and I do like that you said that, um, I have clients that are counselors and we don't, some of us haven't vibed either, right? Like exactly that. Like you're a counselor and you don't vibe with another counselor. That's fine. You don't have to. I mean, it is like online dating. I think that that's how I found my own counselor is, yep, I shopped around because I need to find somebody that, like you said, I feel comfortable with to show up and be honest and they can meet me where I'm at as well. So I think those are absolutely beautiful points. I love Last, your, by the way, I love your, yeah. um, I, cause when I, speak publicly. One of the things I often will say is we all know this statistic, one out of five people will be diagnosed, right? With a mental health. So 20%, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And and then I look at them and I go, but the reality is, and it's exactly what you said. I said, five out of five people don't have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And if any of you in the room right now feel like you're the one who does, then you are probably the one that needs to seek out some help. help the most. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about like narcissistic personalities. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing, but um, I think that that's a really good point. Last thing I want to ask you about, because I know we're getting tight on time, is this idea of an, my equilateral triangle of healing. Tell me mm. about that. Sure. And you're more than welcome to steal it for your clients if Perfect. you feel as though it makes sense. So we've all heard about the toolbox mm-hmm. and Whenever the word toolbox comes into mind, I think we all have our own vision of what that looks like. And in it, there's a hammer and there's a screwdriver and maybe a drill and all these different things. And at different points in time, wherever we are in our journey, we'll reach in and we'll take something out of the toolbox and we'll use it and we'll put it back in. Well, I started thinking 
about three years ago when I was really, really, really struggling. And I, and I knew that something different needed to happen. And it wasn't just, I'm going to reach for the same tool or I'm going to reach for the same tools that I have in the toolbox. It was, I need to try and kind of like hashtag it. I need to try all the things out there mm-hmm. and there's going to be a combination in, you know, in today and tomorrow it'll be different, but there's some combination that will work for me in that moment. And so I started to think about this idea of a triangle because for me, it was three very distinct uh, pieces. One was traditional Western. Western medicine. So uh, talk therapy, psychiatrist, medication, I've done a ton of cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. But as we all know, there are times when the brain wants to try to overpower you in ways. And even those of us who are really well-practiced in CBT, it may not work in that moment. Mm-hmm. So I realized, okay, I need a couple of other modalities here. Mm -hmm. And I started down the Eastern medicine route. So with mindfulness and meditation and Reiki, I talked about my, my energy healer and Mm -hmm. Reiki was incredibly helpful for me. And then I realized, wait a second, why did you move to Colorado in the first place? So that became the third corner was nature and being Mm -hmm. outside and skiing. Like skiing is a huge part of my life. I taught skiing here for 12 seasons and I'm now retired from that. And and I use skiing as a way to be able to reconnect with nature and be present and and quiet my anxious um and spiraling mind, mountain biking in the summer, and just being able to be outside 365 days a year. And so I started thinking, well, it's not a toolbox, it's really this triangle. And it's an equilateral triangle because each side and each angle that leads to that point in the triangle is equally as important. Mm -hmm. If I were to pull one of those sides away, the whole triangle crumbles. If I keep them all and I use them all interrelated at specific points in time, the triangle will be super strong and I'll be able to be strong. So maybe it one day it's I wake up, I take my medication, and then I do 10 minutes of mindfulness, and then I go out and I ski for two hours. Maybe the next day, I have an appointment with my therapist, and I listen to some music for five or 10 minutes, and then I go outside and I take a walk. Whatever it happens to be, there's a different combination each and every day in that triangle. And so it makes it feel for me much more three-dimensional and mm-hmm. much more alive than just this box that I'm con- that you're reaching into. And, and also I feel like over time, as you take things out and put things back into the toolbox, they don't necessarily go back in the right place in the right order. And they can often be difficult to find. We, mm-hmm. we know that when mm-hmm. we're at home and we need to fix something and we can't find the screwdriver. So when we're in that, time of need, or if we're in, unfortunately, a crisis, we need to be able to find those things quickly and know where they are. And so for me, it's been that triangle and I can envision it and I can see it. And, uh, and I know when, when I need more of one thing or less of the other. And, and my wife is very good at being able to, 
tell me like, Hey, you haven't done such and such. And again, I can see it on the triangle. Like, yeah, I've been neglecting this, this corner. I need to do mm. more of this. So that's where it's all, that's where it came from. Oh, I'm totally going to steal that. My goodness. <laughs> I do. think, yeah, I think it's amazing because I am such a bit, big advocate. I talk a lot with my clients about, we have to heal ourselves on all levels that we function. And that includes physical, mental, emotional, um, you know, sexual, spiritual, all those different pieces, like all the ways that we function, we have to do healing on them. And you're not going to necessarily heal spiritually in talk therapy, right? Yes, there are certain things, Mm -hmm. but no, there's, you have to do that Eastern. And I do that in my own personal life. And I totally agree. I think that you have to try all different things. If something doesn't stick, let it go, try something else. And also know that you're evolving because you know, uh, healing is not a linear process. You're going to be evolving continuously and we're going to change continuously. So what we need and what's supportive and what is our, in our, on our triangle or what the things in our triangle look like are going to be very different. So I absolutely love that. Thank you. And it's beautiful what you just said. And I'm going to just keep it in thinking Colorado terms for the two of us mm-hmm. who, who live, I don't know, three and a half hours away. Yeah. <laughs> Healing, our healing journey is not I-70. It -hmm. is not I-70 by any stretch of the imagination. Our healing journey is the Colorado River. It's (laughs) Independence Pass. It's, right, you name it. There's twists and turns. And sometimes it's, you know, you're going uphill. Sometimes you're going downhill to go back uphill. Or, you know, you're kind of paddling against the stream in order to go back downstream. It is not this straight line that goes from the Kansas border all the way to the Utah border. Not at all. (laughs) It is not. Well, Eric, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I know we're getting close on time, but I want to thank you for your time. For our listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with us. I know it's valuable and I appreciate you spending it here with us. I'm going to put all of Eric's information and his podcast link in the episode notes so that you can head over there. And again, thank you so much, Eric. Caitlin, thank you so much for having me and happy holidays coming up. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.